Chapter Eight C of The Shake. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Marianne O'Brien. The Shake by E. M. Hull. Chapter Eight C. Diana's eyes never left the Shake's face. She felt the old paralyzing fear of him rushing over her, irresistibly drowning, for the moment, even the love she had for him. She had seen him in cruel, even savage moods, but nothing that had ever approached the look of horrible pleasure that was on his face now. It was a revelation of the real man, with the thin layer of civilization stripped from him, leaving only the primitive savage drunk with the lust of blood. And she was afraid with a shuddering horror of the merciless, crimson-stained hands that would touch her, of the smiling, cruel mouth that would be pressed on hers, and of the murderous light shining in his fierce eyes. But for the dying wretch expiating his crimes so hideously, she felt no pity. He was beyond all sympathy. She had seen him murder wantonly, and she knew what her own fate would have been if Ahmed ben Hassan had not come and the retribution was swift. The sheikh was being more merciful to him than the robber chief had been to many, a few moments of agony instead of hours of lingering torture. The noise outside the tent was growing louder, as the fighting rolled back in its direction, and once or twice a bullet ripped through the hangings, one that came closer than the others made Diana turn her head, and she saw what Ahmed ben Hassan absorbed in the fulfillment of his horrible task, had not even thought of. The three big negroes and a dozen Arabs who had stolen in silently from the inner room. For once in the intoxication of the moment the sheikh was careless and caught off his guard. Agony leaped into her eyes. The fear of him was wiped out in the fear for him. She tried to warn him, but no sound would come from her throbbing throat, and she crawled nearer to him and touched him. He dropped the dead chief back into the tumbled cushions and looked up swiftly. And at the same moment Ibrahim Omer's men made a rush. Without a word he thrust her behind the divan and turned to meet them. Before his revolver they gave way for a moment, but the burly Nubians behind swept the Arabs forward. Three times he fired, and one of the negroes and two Arabs fell, but the rest hurled themselves on him, and Diana saw him surrounded. His strength was abnormal, and for some minutes the struggling mass of men strained and heaved about him. Diana was on her feet, swaying giddily, powerless to help him, cold with dread. Then above the clamor that was raging inside and out, she heard St. Hubert's voice shouting, and with a shriek that seemed to rip her tortured throat, she called to him. The sheikh too heard, and with a desperate effort for a moment one clear. But one of the Nubians was behind him, and as St. Hubert and a crowd of the sheikh's own men poured in through the opening, he brought down a heavy club with a crashing force on Ahmed ben Hassan's head, and as he fell another drove a broad knife deep into his back. For a few minutes more the tramping feet surged backward and forward over the sheikh's prostrate body. Diana tried to get to him, faint and stumbling, 
flung here and there by the fighting, struggling men until a strong hand caught her and drew her aside. She strained against the detaining arm, but it was one of Ahmed's men, and she gave in as a growing faintness came over her. Mistily she saw St. Hubert clear away to his friend's side, and then she fainted, but only for a few moments. St. Hubert was still on his knees beside the sheikh when she opened her eyes, and the tent was quite quiet, filled with tribesmen, waiting in stoical silence. The camp of Ibrahim Omer had been wiped out, but Ahmed ben Hassan's men looked only at the unconscious figure of their leader. St. Hubert glanced up hastily as Diana came to his side. "'You are all right?' He asked her anxiously, but she did not answer. What did it matter about her? Is he going to die? she asked huskily, for speaking still hurt horribly. I don't know, but we must get away from here. I need more appliances than I have with me, and we are too few to stay and risk a possible attack, if there are others of Ibrahim Omer's men in the neighborhood. Diana looked down on the wounded men fearfully. "'But the ride! The jolting!' she gasped. "'It has got to be risked,' replied St. Hubert abruptly. Of the long, terrible journey back to Ahmed ben Hassan's camp, Diana never remembered very much. It was an agony of dread and apprehension, of momentary waiting for some word or exclamation from the powerful Arab who was holding him, or from St. Hubert who was riding beside him, that would mean his death, and of momentary respites from fear and faint glimmerings of hope as the minutes dragged past, and the word she was dreading did not come. Once a sudden halt seemed to stop her beating heart, but it was only to give a moment's rest to the Arab whose strength was taxed to the uttermost, with the sheikh's inert weight, but who refused to surrender his privilege to any other. Moments of semi-unconsciousness, when she swayed against the arm of the watchful tribesman, riding beside her, and his muttered ejaculation of, Allah, Allah, sent a whispered supplication to her own lips, to the God they both worshipped so differently. He must not die. God would not be so cruel. From time to time St. Hubert spoke to her, and the quiet courage of his voice steadied her breaking nerves. As they passed the scene of the ambushcade, he told her of Gaston, it was there that the first band of waiting men met them, warned already of their coming by a couple of Arabs whom the Vicomte had sent on in advance with the news. The dawn was breaking when they reached the camp. Diana had a glimpse of rows of unusually silent men grouped beside the tent, but all her mind was concentrated on the long, limp figure that was being carefully lifted down from the sweating horse. They carried him into the tent and laid him on the divan, beside which Henry had already put out all the implements that his master would need. While St. Hubert with difficulty cleared the tent of the sheikh's men, Diana stood beside the divan and looked at him. He was soaked in blood that had burst through the temporary bandages, and his whole body bore evidence of the terrible struggle that had gone before the blow that had felled him. One blood-covered hand hung down, almost touching the rug. Diana lifted it with her own, and the touch of the nerveless fingers sent a sob into her throat. She caught her lip between her teeth to stop it trembling, as she laid his hand down on the cushions. 
St. Hubert came to her, rolling up his shirt-sleeves significantly. "'Diane, you have been through enough,' he said gently. "'Go and rest, while I do what I can for Ahmed. I will come and tell you as soon as I am finished.' She looked up fiercely. "'It's no good telling me to go away, because I won't. I must help you. I can help you. I shall go mad if you don't let me do something. See, my hands are quite steady.' She held them out as she spoke, and St. Hubert gave in without opposition. The weakness that had sent her trembling into his arms the day before had been the fear of danger to the man she loved, but in the face of actual need the courage that was so much a part of her nature did not fail her. He made no more remonstrances, but set about his work quickly, and all through the horrible time that followed she did not falter. Her face was deadly pale, and dark lines showed below her eyes, but her hands did not shake, and her voice was low and even. She suffered horribly. The terrible wound that the Nubian's knife had made was like a wound in her own heart. She winced as if the hurt had been her own, when St. Hubert's gentle, dexterous fingers touched the sheikh's bruised head. And when it was over, and Raoul had turned aside to wash his hands, she slipped onto her knees beside him. Would he live? The courage that had kept her up so far had not extended to asking St. Hubert again, and a few muttered words from Henri, to which the vicomte had responded with only a shrug, had killed the words that were hovering on her lips. She looked at him with anguished eyes. Only a few hours before he had come to her, in all the magnificence of his strength. She looked at the long limbs lying now so still, so terribly suggestively still, and her lips trembled again, but her pain-filled eyes were dry. She could not cry, only her throat ached and throbbed perpetually. She leaned over him, whispering his name, and a sudden hunger came to her to touch him, to convince herself that he was not dead. She glanced back over her shoulder at St. Hubert, but he had gone to the open doorway to speak to Youssef, and was standing out under the awning. She bent lower over the unconscious man. His lips were parted slightly, and the usual sternness of his mouth was relaxed. Ahmed, oh, my dear, she whispered unsteadily, and kissed him with lips that quivered against the stillness of his. Then for a moment she dropped her bright head beside the bandaged one on the pillow. But when the vicomte came back she was kneeling where he had left her. Her hands clasped over one of the shakes, and her face hidden against the cushions. St. Hubert put his hand on her shoulder. Diane, you are torturing yourself unnecessarily. We cannot know for some time how it will go with him. Try and get some sleep for a few hours. You can do no good by staying here. Henry and I will watch. I will call you if there is any change, my word of honor. She shook her head without looking up. I can't go. I couldn't sleep. St. Hubert did not press it. Very well, he said quietly. But if you are going to stay, you must take off your riding boots and put on something more comfortable than those clothes. She realized the sense of what he was saying and obeyed him without a word. She even had to admit to herself a certain sensation of relief. After she had bathed her aching head and throat, and substituted a thin, silk wrap for the torn, stained riding suit. 
Henry was pouring out coffee when she came back, and St. Hubert turned to her with a cup in his outstretched hand. "'Please take it. It will do you good,' he said, with a little smile that was not reflected in his anxious eyes. She took it unheeding and swallowed it hastily, went to the side of the divan again. She slid down onto the rug where she had knelt before. The sheik was lying as she had left him. For a few moments she looked at him, then drowsily her eyes closed and her head fell forward on the cushions, and with a half-sad smile of satisfaction St. Hubert gathered her up into his arms. He carried her into the bedroom, hesitating beside the couch before he put her down. Surely one moment out of a lifetime might be granted to him. He would never have the torturing happiness of holding her in his arms again, would never again clasp her against the heart that was crying out for her with the same mad passion that had swept over him yesterday. He looked down longingly on the pale face lying against his arm, and his features contracted at the sight of the cruel marks marring the whiteness of her delicate throat. The love that all his life he had longed for, that he had sought vainly through many countries, had come to him at last. And it had come too late. The helpless loveliness lying in his arms was not for him. It was Ahmed whom she loved, Ahmed who had waked to such a tardy recognition of the priceless gift that she had given him, Ahmed whom he must wrest from the grim specter that was hovering near him, lest the light that shone in her violet eyes should go out in the blackness of despair. And yet, as he looked at her with eyes filled with hopeless misery, a demon of suggestion whispered within him, tempting him. He knew his friend as no one else did. What chance of happiness had any woman with a man like Ahmed ben Hassan, at the mercy of his savage nature and passionate, changeable moods? What reason to suppose that the love that had flamed up so suddenly at the thought that he had lost her would survive the knowledge of repossession. To him all his life, a thing desired, had upon possession become valueless. With the fulfillment of acquisition had come always disinterest. The pleasure of pursuit faded with ownership. Would this hapless girl, who had poured out such a wealth of love at the feet of the man who had treated her brutally, fare any better at his hands? Her chance was slight, if any. Ahmed, in the full power of his strength, again would be the man he had always been, implacable, cruel, merciless. St. Hubert's own longing, his passionate Gaelic temperament, were driving him, as they had driven him the day before. The longing to save her from misery was acute. That and his own love, prompted by the urging of the desire within him, then he trembled, and a great fear of himself came over him. Ahmed was his friend. Who was he that he should judge him? He could at least be honest with himself. He could own the truth. He coveted what was not his, and masked his envy with a hypocrisy that now appeared contemptible. The clasp of his arm around her seemed suddenly a profanation, and he laid her down very gently on the low couch drawing the thin coverlet over her, and went back slowly to the other room. He sent Henry away, and sat down beside the divan to watch, with a feeling of weariness that was not bodily. 
the great tent was very still a pregnant silence seemed to hang in the air a brooding hush that strained st hubert's already overstrained nerves he had need of all his calm and he gripped himself resolutely for a time ahmed ben hassan lay motionless and then as the day crept on and the early rays of the warm sun filled the tent he moved uneasily and began to mutter feverishly in confused arabic and french at first the words that came were almost unintelligible pouring out with rapid indistinctness then by degrees his voice slowed and hesitating interrupted sentences came clearly from his lips and beside him with his face buried in his hands raoul de saint hubert thanked god fervently that he had saved diana the added torture of listening to the revelations of the past four months the first words were in arabic then the slow soft voice lapsed into french pure as the vicomte's own two hours south of the oasis with the three broken palm trees by the well lie still you little fool it is useless to struggle you cannot get away i shall not let you go why have i brought you here you ask me why mon dieu are you not woman enough to know no i will not spare you give me what i want willingly and i will be kind to you but fight me and by allah you shall pay the cost i know you hate me you have told me so already shall i make you love me still disobedient when will you learn that i am master i have not tired of you yet you lovely little wild thing garçon monk you say she is cowed i say she is content content to give me everything i ask of her for four months she has fought me why does it give me no pleasure to have broken her at last why do i want her still she is english and i have made her pay for my hatred of her cursed race i have tortured her to keep my vow and still i want her diane diane how beautiful you are what devil makes me hate raoul after twenty years last night she only spoke to him and when he went i cursed her till i saw the terror in her eyes she fears me why should i care if she loves him i knew she was not asleep when i went to her i felt her quivering beside me i wanted to kill raoul when he would not come with me but for that i would have gone back to her allah how long the day has been has it been long to her will she smile or tremble when i come where is diane 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 how could i know how much you meant to me how could i know that i should love you diane diane my sunshine the tent is cold and dark without you ibrahim omir devil and diane oh allah grant me time to get to her how the jackals are howling see raoul there are the tents diane where are you grand du he has been torturing her you knew that i would come ma bien ami only a few moments while i kill him then i can hold you in my arms do if you only knew how much i loved you diane diane it is all black i cannot see you 
Diane, Diane. And hour after hour, with weary hopelessness, the tired voice went on. Diane, Diane. End of chapter 8C